Good morning for our scripture reading this morning. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, begin in verse 23 and read down through the end of the chapter. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 23. The Bible says, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup, When he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, this do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when ye come together to eat, tarry one for another." And if any man hunger, let him eat at home, that ye, that ye come not together unto condemnation, and the rest will I set in order when I come. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we thank you so much for your, your body that you gave for us, the blood that you shed for us to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, thank you so much for it. And Lord, as we take a look at, at communion this morning and talk about what, is, what all is involved, and, and that it's a, a picture of, of what you have done for us. I just pray that we would just again be reminded of, of your sacrifice, of, of what you have done for us, so that we can have forgiveness, so that we can be cleansed, so that we can, we can rise again one day with you um, for, for eternity and be with you. We just thank you so much, so very much for what you have done for us. I just pray that again that we'd see that very clearly this morning. Be with preacher as he speaks. Fill him with your Holy Spirit and use him in a mighty way. And I just pray that our hearts would be, would be soft, would be open as, as the seed of your word is given. Father, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Today we, as we do usually each quarter in our church, we take a time to celebrate the Lord's Supper and communion <clears throat> and uh, kind of moved it back a week because of our revival last week. But I want us to look at the Lord's Supper in relation to Scripture this morning and then at the close of our service we'll have our communion today. The Lord said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the apostle, through the Apostle Paul, he said, For I have received of the Lord... That which also I delivered unto you, the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. Isn't it amazing that in the night that he was betrayed and he knew what was going to take place, he took time to stop and to share the Lord's Supper with his disciples. 
It says, when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. I believe that public worship reaches its climax at the Lord's table. We do so in remembrance of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we do so because he commands us to do it, and he requests us to do so. He says, as oft as you drink this bread, eat this bread, as oft as you drink this cup. We're to do it often. You see, just exhorting one another about the things of God in itself is not worship. Just singing songs and special music in our service does not of themselves constitute worship. Reciting special chosen passages of Scripture is not in itself worship. Following a carefully planned order of service does not guarantee that we are worshiping. Listening to the preacher is not of itself worshiping. Praying for one another, though that's important, does not of itself constitute worship. Being occupied with evangelism and soul winning and missionary activity and those sorts of things in and of themselves do not constitute worship. All of those things may and are good and may be elements of worship, but true worship is brought to true focus when we come to the time of the Lord's table and the Lord's Supper. Because there, we kind of focus our attention on one thing, don't we? We focus our attention on Jesus, on his death, on what he suffered for us, on his shed blood that was given for us on the cross at Calvary. And when we focus on Jesus only, that's true worship. When we get our eyes on him, and at the Lord's table, we remember the Lord, and we do it as John 4:24 says, they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And you know, it's interesting that that excludes all of those that do not know him. You see, when the Lord says we take of the bread and of the cup and we do it in remembrance of him, you can't really remember someone if you don't know them and you've never met them. Amen? Amen? So it excludes those that do not know him. Occupation with the Lord Jesus Christ reaches its climax when we partake of that bread and of that cup. This is our pure worship. It should be guided by the Holy Spirit of God. And as we partake of the Lord's Supper and as we think about these verses this morning, this passage of Scripture... Paul reminds us of four elements of prominent worship that should be a part of our lives. First of all, Paul reminds us of the Lord's person. He reminds us of the person of the Lord. In verse 24, he says, When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take ye, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. This do in remembrance of me. The Lord is instituting this Lord's Supper, and he says, it's to remind you of me. Well, we need to be reminded of the Lord, don't we? 
And there are many ways that God reminds us through his word, but particularly as we partake of the Lord's Supper. And, and, and when we think about remembrance of me, that opens up a vast field of worship. Our attention is drawn when we think of the Lord Jesus Christ to his deity, to the fact that he is God in human flesh. We think of his humanity. He is God, but he's also man. We think of all his attributes that he has and of his wisdom and his love and his power. We can focus on his eternal pre-existence as God the Son, as the second person of the Godhead. Jesus did not just come into existence when he was born of Mary in Bethlehem stable. He is eternal. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus was all the way in the beginning. So when we think about him, we think about his eternal preexistence as the Son of God. We worship him as creator of the universe. I'm so glad that we believe in the Bible and that we believe in creation. Amen? It takes a whole lot of faith, a whole lot more faith and foolishness to believe in evolution than it does to believe the Bible and believe in creation. And that's another message I won't get into this morning, but we worship him as the creator. He's the one who is adored by the angels throughout all of time. We can remember that he is truly man. We can meditate on his incarnation, on his life, on his words that he spoke while he was here, on the various works that he did here on this earth. We focus on his death, on his burial, on his resurrection. We focus on his oneness with the Father and with the Holy Spirit and with his bride, the church. All of that and many other things are involved in just simply remembering the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, who he is. And then secondly, Paul reminds us of the Lord's passion. He reminds us of his passion. In verse number 26, he says, For as oft as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. He said, you show the Lord's death. That again opens up a vast area of our worship. Many Old Testament types remind us of the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. For instance, all of the various feasts that are given, the truths that are connected to the tabernacle and to the furniture involved in it, such monumental passages as Psalm 22 and Psalm 69 and Isaiah 53 come to mind as we think about the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Also, there are frequent references to the death of Christ in the Gospels and in the epistles of the New Testament. We focus in worship on the events that surround the Lord's death around his burial, around his resurrection. We think about his suffering. No man has ever suffered like our Lord suffered on the cross at Calvary. We think about all the events that led up to that last crowded week of his, of his death and all the things that were involved in that. We stand with Moses and Elijah as they were there on the Mount of Transfiguration. And when they saw the Lord transfigured, the Bible says they talked about his decease. They talked about his death. We stand in Pilate's judgment hall. We journey from Gethsemane to Gabbatha, to Golgotha, and to the grave. We remember his passion. The Bible says he set his face like a flint toward Jerusalem. Jesus came to this world to die. He came to pay our sin debt on the cross at Calvary. He came to shed his precious blood so that we might have eternal life. Besides our Bible and all of the scripture involved in it, there are hundreds of songs that talk about the death of the Lord Jesus Christ 
Who doesn't love the old rugged cross? Who doesn't love that song, What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And on and on we can go hundreds of songs that remind us of the passion of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he came to die for us on the cross at Calvary. And then there's another thing that Paul reminds us of. Paul reminds us of the Lord's position. He reminds us of his position. Again, in verse 26, he says, Ye do show the Lord's death, and then he added these three words, Till he come. The Lord Jesus Christ in his position, he's no longer on the cross. Amen? Amen. We don't wear a crucifix around our neck with Jesus on the cross because he's not on the cross anymore. By the way, he's no longer in the tomb. Amen? Amen? It's empty. He's not there anymore. He's seated at the right hand of the Father in majesty and in glory in heaven. And he is our advocate, the Bible says, with the Father. He's our great high priest, ever making intercession for you and for me. And the Bible tells us he is coming again. And it could be today. The trumpet could sound this morning and we could be caught up together to be with the Lord. All of those things provide us with themes for worship. We can come and worship the Lord as we think about his death, his burial, his resurrection, and the fact that he's coming back again. Worship, after all, is ascribing to the Lord Jesus Christ worth-ship. He is worthy of our worship, isn't he? And then fourthly, Paul reminds us of the Lord's purpose. He reminds us of his purpose. Look at verse number 28. He says, But let a man examine himself, so, that, so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. The Lord says when we come to the Lord's Supper, we are to take time to examine ourselves. One of the reasons why communion is so important is it gives us the opportunity to examine our hearts and lives and make sure we are in a right relationship with our Savior. That's an important part of it, examining ourselves. The early church had great power in their world. In fact, the Bible says that they had literally turned the world upside down. In Acts 2 and verse 42 it says, And they continued steadfastly in apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. The breaking of bread is direct reference to the Lord's table. It's direct reference to what we call the communion service. And the potential power of breaking bread in the communion service comes from the fact that they were of one accord, the Bible says. They were of one accord. What is the power of one accord? The distinguishing factor that made the early church so powerful and made them so effective was the fact that they were of one accord. When they gathered together for prayer, Acts chapter 4 and verse 24 says this, it says, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spake the word of God with boldness. Evidence that they were filled with the Spirit as they spoke God's word with boldness. Paul describes what will happen when an unbeliever comes into a group of believers and that there is one accord in there. I want you to go, if you still have your place there still at 1 Corinthians 11, go over a couple pages to chapter 14 and look at verse 24. 
1 Corinthians 14 and verse 24. And notice what he says. He says, but if all prophesy, this is talking about in, in the church service, of all prophesy, if all are preaching, proclaiming, and there come in one that believeth not, or one unlearned, he is convinced of all, he is judged of all. Now, I don't want to get into all the contrast, but you can study 1 Corinthians 14 because it gives you the instructions that were given to the early church about speaking in tongues. But here Paul says if you're preaching, if you're speaking in, in such a way that they hear and understand, he says an unbeliever comes in and he's convinced of all, he's judged of all. Verse 25, and thus are the secrets of his heart made manifest. In other words, God convicts him of sin in his life. And so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is in you of a truth. Here was a church that was of one accord. And when unsaved people came in, when they left, they said God was in that place. Well, that's all the way it ought to be in every church, shouldn't it? People ought to leave and say, you know what? God was there today. God was in that place. And they reported their agreement by saying in Acts 15, 25, it seemed good with us being assembled together with one accord. The word... One accord in the Greek is the word homo thumadon. Homo means the same. Thumadon means mind and passion. In other words, these people were gathered together with the same mind and the same passion. They had a passion for loving God and for loving one another with a deep-rooted agape love that God had given to them. In any church that has a mind to love the Lord and to love each other, will be a church that God will use for his honor and glory. They were, in a sense, committed to laying down their lives for the faith, but also to lay down their lives for one another. You see, when we love each other as part of the family of God, to the point where we're willing to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters in Christ, as far as that goes for our husband, our wife, for our children, we're willing to lay down our life if we love God and love each other that passionately, others will sense the presence of God in our midst. After being assembled together in the upper room for 10 days, Acts chapter 2 and verse 1 says, they were all with one accord. They had one mind. They had one passion. They were in agreement. It was then that the power of God's Spirit came upon those that were there in that upper room and in Acts chapter 5 and verse 12, it says they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch, and believers were the more added to the Lord, multitudes, both men and women. Boy, through the years, and I've had the privilege of being a pastor now for 52 years, and I've seen a lot of things go on in churches. And I've seen a lot of churches that weren't in one accord. Amen? And that does not bring any kind of glory to the Lord. And unbelievers come in and they don't leave saying God was in that place. Here on the day of Pentecost and on that first part of the book of Acts, they were in one accord. What is the prerequisite of being in one accord? How do we get that? What is required? One accord unity comes only after a thorough self-examination. 
It comes only after we thoroughly examine our own lives. And that's what Paul's talking about back in chapter 11 when he comes to talking about the Lord's table. As we come together, he says we're to examine ourselves. The primary purpose of regular communion is to thoroughly examine ourselves. It's so that we can search our hearts and make sure everything's right between us and our Savior. To make sure that there's no secret sin in our hearts and in our lives. To make sure that there is no unforgiveness towards other believers. You see, if I'm willing to lay down my life for my brother or sister in Christ, I'm not going to be holding a grudge against them. I'm not going to have hurt feelings towards them. I'm going to be in one accord. And that's what Paul's talking about in this matter of being one accord. Paul gives a stern warning on this point back in our text in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Look at verses 27, verse 27 again. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily, that means without taking care of those secret sins, without taking care of that unforgiveness towards our brothers and sisters, he says, shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so, so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. When he talks about sleep, he's the same, same word that's used when he talks about those who are asleep in Christ. He's talking about people who have died. He said there are people who are weak, there are people who are sick, there are people who have died. Why? Because they've partaken unworthily of the Lord's Supper. How did they do that? They didn't deal with those secret sins, and they didn't deal with the unforgiveness towards their brothers and sisters in Christ. It's a stern warning that Paul gives to us. There's a biblical application of discerning the Lord's body. We're a part of the body of Christ. If you're saved, you're a part of that body. And when one member sins, the Bible tells us it affects all of us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 15, it says, Paul said, Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of an harlot? God forbid. God has special warning for those who are not willing to forgive their offenders because that will break the one accord power of the body of Christ. When we're not willing to forgive each other. Jesus said in Matthew 6 and verses 14 and 15, He said, For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And Jesus strengthens that warning. Look back with me a moment to Matthew chapter 18. And notice what he says there in verse, beginning in verse 24. Matthew chapter 18 and verse 24. I'll give you a minute to find your place there. Matthew chapter 18. And notice what the Lord says, verse 24. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him 10,000 talents. Verse 25, but for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife, and children, and all that he had, and payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of the servant was moved with compassion, and loosed him, and forgave him that debt. He forgave him a huge debt. Verse 28, but the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him an hundred pence, just a little bit of money. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. 
And his fellow servant did the same thing he did. His fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after they had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth or angry and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. What a powerful statement. This Lord in that chapter was angry with the servant because he, for, he refused to forgive his fellow servant. Even after he had been forgiven a great debt, he wouldn't forgive the smaller debt. And the Bible says that he took that man and turned him over to the tormentors until he did forgive. And then it says this, So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if from ye from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses. He delivered them to the tormentors. That's where that sick and, and ill and weak and dying comes from. When we're not willing to forgive, the Bible says God delivers us to the tormentors. And there are a lot of physical tormenting that we endure because we're not willing to forgive and we're not willing to have mercy and show mercy towards others who have offended us. In Luke chapter 24, the Lord talks about this again. Luke chapter 24, look at verse 25 with me. Luke chapter 24 and verse number, beginning in verse number 25. Luke 24 and verse 25. Then he said unto them, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? Beginning Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scripture the things concerning himself. You see, unless we have that one accord agreement in our church, that love for the Lord and dealing with those secret sins in our life, and that love for each other and being willing to lay down our lives for others, we will never be able to turn our world upside down for God's kingdom. God wants us to be willing to examine ourselves. And so as we come to this time of communion, we're to examine our own lives. Now for these final few moments, I want us to look at Calvary and what actually takes place as we think about the death of our Lord. When Jesus was crucified on the cross at Calvary, on that particular day at 6 o'clock in the morning, the burnt offering was offered. The burnt offering was all for God. It was the offering which depicted Jesus as the one who was obedient unto death, the Bible says, even the death of the cross. The sacrifice that was placed there for that burnt offering was declared perfect. It was to be without spot and without blemish. And that, of course, we know is what Jesus was. He was the perfect Son of God. The exploring knife of the sacrifice would open up the inward parts of, of that sacrifice for inspection. And the devouring fire that came on that, on that burnt offering 
offered a sweet-smelling savor to ascend up to God. And it was about that time of the day that Jesus stood before Pilate. And Pilate himself declared Jesus sinless. He said, I find no fault in him at all. He was the perfect sacrifice. And then at 9 o'clock in the morning, the meal offering was offered. The meal offering was of fine flour. It was ground until it was, it's kind of like a woman sifting flour. We don't do that much anymore, but you ladies know what that's all about. Sifting it until there's no lumps, no unevenness in the flour. It was then mixed with oil. It represents the perfect life of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the oil represents how his life was energized by the Holy Spirit of God. There was no leaven in the meal offering, because leaven is always in the Bible a symbol of sin. That's why we use unleavened bread in the, in, in the Lord's Supper, in the communion, because leaven represents sin, and Jesus was sinless. There was also no honey that was used in that sacrifice because honey was a symbol of mere natural human sweetness. No energy of the flesh was ever present in the Lord Jesus Christ. He was always energized by the Spirit of God. The meal offering was described as an offering of the Lord made by fire. And it points again to the Lord Jesus Christ who having been already declared by Pilate to be faultless was handed over to him for suffering and for death. At 12 o'clock noon, the peace offering was offered. By that time, the Lord Jesus Christ had been on the cross now for three hours. At 12 noon, the darkness came down upon the scene as the Lord Jesus made peace by the blood of the cross, Colossians 1.20 says. He was made sin for us, he who knew no sin became sin for us, the Bible says. He was made sin, the very thing that he hated. He's made sin so that once for all, sin could be dealt with there on the cross at Calvary. Peace, the Bible says, that peace offering. It, it means that war is over. When you make peace, war is finished. And the peace is made with God. The peace offering brought God and man together at the table. It becomes the foundation of the feast. But when you think about that feast, you understand that it was at utmost cost for the lamb or the ox that was offered there. And so it was for the Lord Jesus Christ as the Lamb of God that was offered on the cross at Calvary. He endured the cross, the Bible says. He despised the shame. And he did all of that, and that offering guarantees our peace with God. That peace offering. The Bible says, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God in Romans 5 and verse 1. And that brings us into the banqueting house where Song of Solomon says, his banner over me is love. And then at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, the sin offering was offered. The sin offering dealt with the principle of sin. I am not a sinner... Because I sin. I sin because I'm a sinner. Just the same way in which an apple tree doesn't bear apples, and that makes it an apple tree. No, because it's an apple tree, it bears apples. Because we are sinners, we sin. We do what we do because we are what we are. Amen? We're all born into this world as sinners, and consequently we sin the sin offering was designed to deal with that sin nature. And at 3 o'clock, Jesus said, It 
is finished. The work was done for our atonement. Sin's awful price had been paid in full as Jesus was the sin offering. And then at 6 o'clock, the trespass offering was offered. The trespass offering, the sin offering dealt with the principle of sin. The trespass offering deals with the practice of sin. This was sin against our fellow man. The sin offering deals with our sin. The trespass offering deals with our sins, plural. By 6 p.m., the time when the trespass offering was sacrificed, the suffering of the Lord Jesus Christ was over. The Lord Jesus Christ was taken off of that cross. He's placed in the tomb. The law of the trespass offering required that full restoration be made to the person who was robbed. Remember I said it has to do with our sins. It's our sin against our fellow man. When a person robbed somebody, they had to make with a trespass offering full restoration, and they also had to add 20% to it so that the one that was robbed became the gainer. They became the one who, who gained from it. The Lord Jesus Christ arose from the borrowed tomb, and both God in heaven and the believer on earth became gainers because of what he did for us. God became a gainer because the cross at Calvary provided for him an adequate stage upon which he could demonstrate his love to all of the world. God's wisdom and God's power are adequately displayed in creation, but God's love is displayed for us on the cross at Calvary. Man also becomes the gainer at Calvary because Adam sinned and we are sinners and now because of the redemption our sins are forgiven and we become a part of the body of Christ and the family of Christ. Adam, if you think about this for a minute, if he had not sinned, he perhaps could have remained in the Garden of Eden for a million years. And if he did that, what if he had done that and then sinned and died? The salvation of Jesus Christ, think about this for a minute, purchased for us that salvation on the cross, and it places us forever beyond the reach of sin and death. Because we have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, we get to spend eternity in heaven with the Lord forever and ever. He gives us eternal life. On the other hand, if Adam and his offspring, if they had never sinned, they would have forever been the children of Adam and nothing more. But by virtue of Calvary, we're not the children of Adam, we become the sons of God, the children of God. And we have the privilege of being heirs and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not saying sin's a good thing, but I'm saying we're the gainer because of Calvary. We're better off because we're not just the sons of Adam as a believer. Now we're the sons of God, and we get to spend eternity with him forever and ever. We're seated in heavenlies, and all of this is pictured in that final offering, the trespass offering that was given. And now the Lord is saying to us, as we read in 1 Corinthians, he's saying to you and me, as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. There's a whole lot involved in just stopping and thinking about the body and the blood. 
the death of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We see his person. We see his passion. We see his position. We see his purpose. And God wants you and me, as we think about this tremendous picture, to be reminded that Jesus died for us. He purchased our salvation so that we could be saved and so that we could have eternal life. And from time to time, as we meet together, and as we gather around the Lord's table, he said, this do in remembrance of me. It's not just a time to have a quick little religious ceremony. It's time for us to examine ourselves. It's time for us to remember what Jesus did for us. And that remembrance fills our hearts with love and appreciation for all he's done for us. Songwriter wrote, Hallelujah, what a Savior. And take a poor lost sinner and set him free. What a Savior we have in Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the reminder of what Jesus did for us. The great price that was paid on the cross at Calvary. And as we take a few moments just to examine our own hearts and lives, would you help us to remember the great price you paid for us? And Lord, we do not want to partake unworthily because we haven't dealt with the secret sins we know what they are in our lives, what we're struggling with. And because we haven't been willing to forgive our fellow man, we know who we are holding a grudge against and who hurt our feelings and who we're not speaking to or we're avoiding. And We have the opportunity to get everything straightened out and to be in one accord, one mind, one passion, Loving the Lord with all of our hearts and loving each other and willing even to lay down our lives for each other. Help us today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand together with me as we sing in just a moment our song of invitation with our heads bowed and eyes closed. Would you ask the Lord right now, Lord, is there some secret sins in my life I need to deal with before I partake of the Lord's Supper? Would you ask him, is there somebody, is there a brother or sister in Christ that I'm holding a grudge I, I, I've been offended by, or maybe somebody you've offended that you need to make right? Let a man examine himself. I'm going to ask Jessica if she'll just begin to play that song for us, All to Jesus I Surrender. And she plays, if there's something you need to deal with, you feel you need to come to the altar you're welcome to come we'll just wait a few moments as we as she plays if you need to deal with something in your life come and do that while we wait before the Lord if there's some secret sin if there's some offenses towards somebody else it may even be something God's been telling you to do that you're not doing if he's speaking to your heart Examine your life. Ask God to examine. And he says, examine, let us examine ourselves. We know where we are. He's speaking to you.
you come. If you need to trust Him as Savior, if you've never been born again, you say, Preacher, I don't know Him. How can I remember Him? Maybe you need to come and trust Him as Savior today. So we wait just a moment. Anyone else, just slip out of your place and come. Do business with the Lord. You may think, well, I don't need to go up in front of all those people. I'd be embarrassed. I'm sure glad Jesus wasn't afraid to be embarrassed or ashamed when he went to the cross. He was a spectacle before all of mankind. For me. For you. Lord, help us. As we examine our lives right now, whatever it is that you're prompting, that you're reminding us of, that you're speaking to us about, would you help us to deal with it even now? We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. I ask the ushers to help me for just a moment. Most of you should have already picked up your communion cup as you came in. If you did not do so, we'll get that to you so that you can have one of those and be a part of that this, this morning. If you did not receive one of those cups, if you'll just raise your hand, wave your hand at us, the guys will come and bring those to you and make sure that everybody has one. Just hold it up there for a minute and they'll get to you and uh, help you with that. I want to read these verses again while they're doing that. Just keep your hand up till somebody gets to you. In verse 23 it says, For I received of the Lord that which also I received, I delivered unto you. That the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. So what we're doing, he says, this is in remembrance of him. This cup has in it some juice, some grape juice. It's not wine. We don't use wine because wine has fermentation, which is also a picture of sin, and so we don't use wine. The bread, as I said, is unleavened because leaven is a picture of sin. Jesus was the spotless lamb of God. And so these are, are emblems that represent him, remind us of him. This is not the body, it is not the blood, it is a picture of that. It reminds us of that. Jesus Christ only died on the cross once. Hebrews said he died once for all. If this were to be transubstantiated as some teach and it becomes the literal body and blood of Christ, then every time we take communion we're crucifying Jesus again. He doesn't need to be crucified again. Once was sufficient for us, according to the book of Hebrews. But Paul said, this do in remembrance of me, it reminds us of him. So if you take the top, there's a top little uh, cellophane there, and underneath it, it has your, your uh, bread there to partake of. And if you'll take that and just hold it for a moment, we're going to give thanks. The Bible says that in verse 24, when he had given thanks, he break it. And so let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this emblem that represents the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that your body was broken for us. You were beaten. You were tortured beyond what any man has ever been tortured. 
Isaiah said that your visage or your form was almost beyond recognition. You suffered tremendously for us. You paid much too high a price. We're reminded of that this morning, and we thank you for the great price that tells us how much you loved us. We thank you for this emblem, and we take it in remembrance of you, for it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. Now your little cup has another tab there that you can tear off carefully. And then it is the grape juice. He says, after the same manner, he took the cup. So we want to give thanks for that as well. Would you pray with me together? Lord, we thank you for the precious blood of Jesus Christ. The blood that was shed on the cross at Calvary to make full payment for my sin. The blood that cleanses deeper than the stain of sin has ever gone. The blood that washes us whiter than snow. Thank you for that precious blood. The blood that was taken back to heaven and placed on the mercy seat in heaven. We thank you for our Savior. We thank you for this cup that reminds us of his shed blood. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. After the same manner also he took the cup. When he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. And you can stick that cup in the little holder there in your pew, if you will. Father, we thank you so much. for the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and for the body, for the great price. Lord, we'll never totally comprehend your love for us. We thank you for it. You said the fruit of the Spirit is love. Would you help us to be channels through which you can love others around us? You can love your people. You can love the lost. And your love can be shown to a world that needs Christ. Help us to take the message of what we've talked about today, the, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Christ, take it to a lost world and point people to the Savior, the only one that can save them and take them to heaven. Help us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.